Today's scripture reading will be coming from Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We begin to emerge from this pandemic. In many ways, we are entering a new and unknown world. There will be new obstacles and new opportunities. Much the same could be said about Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the river and entered the new world of the Promised Land. What was God's answer for their uncertainty? A constant and compelling message we all need to hear. Be strong and courageous. All right, if you're a longtime member of this church, you know that how much we emphasize evangelism and making disciples. If you are somebody new here, we are glad you're here. One of our core beliefs is that we make disciples, disciples of Jesus. We help people find God and help them walking away closer to him every day. In the midst of that, as the video points out, that we want to be strong and courageous out of the book of Joshua. He served as a great example in a difficult time, a challenging time. And when Matt was talking about defining courage, I thought it's when your heart and your head don't really match up and you do what you ought to do, what your head says even though your heart's maybe a little bit nervous about that. So uh, we need to be courageous in this time, day and time, like they were in the New Testament uh, times, and as they were in Joshua's time, uh, fighting against those things. And Jesus is the one who really guides us and helps us, gives us insight into life and, and a real challenge there. So I'm going to be looking, introducing kind of the topic at the idea of serving, where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, defined what it meant to live for him, how the, it's impossible to serve uh, two masters and how you should serve one. So we're going to look at chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, where he deals with some of these things that could become our masters. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We struggle with a lot of things that are idols, and we, we say, well, well, I'm not going to serve anybody or anything. And even in the midst of that, you are self-serving. You serve yourself. You make yourself into a God. But most of us try to please so many people. We try to please hundreds of people. We try to impress people. We try to uh, drive a newer car and a bigger and own a bigger house to try to impress other people. And we become slaves to that uh, image that, that is out there. And Jesus challenges us to choose this day to, uh, specifically. And, and he talks about our focus. And when he talks about, goes on in 22 and 23, he talks about the eye as a lamp to the, of the body. It's what takes in all the information. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if, if your vision, if your mindset, if the, your uh, perspective is messed up, 
you're going to have a lot of darkness. And that's whenever we turn to ourselves and make ourselves God or we make things and money our God. There's a lot of darkness in our life. We do bad things. We don't do the things that are what God would have us do. And so he goes on to say in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. And I want to point that out. He could have said, don't have a bunch of masters. You can only have one. Two says you have one too many. So you, can, you can't serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He could have put anything else there. But money is a challenge for most of us because it's the liquid currency of, of our things that we have and how we exchange that. We serve a lot of things that end up being idols. I think, I think it, those idols can be things, they can be people, they can be ideas, and they could be ourself. And sometimes self is the greatest thing. Selfishness is the greatest enemy I'm convinced we have because we want to think the way we think rather than becoming a disciple of Jesus and learning how he got his great things. He warned them about money and possessions. He warned them about pleasure. Uh, James talks about that sin itself begins with a pleasure and a desire that leads beyond where we thought we were going. Sometimes it's notoriety and position and thinking we're really important, uh, trying to do things that are that way. Or however we define success other than how God would do that. So you're going to serve somebody. In fact, we love to serve our families most of the time. We love to serve our neighbors. But sometimes we like to serve those who are like us. Rarely do we enjoy serving others. And Jesus served people other than people like him. So make the choice who you're going to serve. If you're going to become a disciple of Jesus, choose him. If uh, On the screen, we have a quote about, that Nick has said. And he says, the greatest reward uh, come when you, you give of yourself. It's about bettering the lives of others, being part of something bigger than yourself, and making a positive difference. That's what God allows us to do. We become uh, the aroma of Christ. We are able to influence others. And that's the difference is we can, in the name of Jesus, help other people. Uh, Robert Frost said it this way, whenever we have a choice, we have to make those choices. And we need to decide where we're going to go. If you don't decide, somebody else will decide for you, I promise you. But Robert Frost said, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled uh, travel by, and that has made all the difference. Following Jesus, following that journey, following that trail, that road will make the greatest difference. Good morning, church. Nice. I'd like to share a message with you about faithfulness. At least that's what the beginning of Joshua chapter 24 is trying to communicate with the nation of Israel. And I think for many of us, we're really good and comfortable about talking about what faithfulness from our perspective looks like. What we need to do, what we need to achieve, what we need to be committed to, to look faithful, uh, not only in our lives, but also to the people around us. Uh, and we're really good at talking about that. But sometimes we struggle with believing that God has faith in us. And that's what I want to be talking about, is that God is faithful to his church. God is faithful to you. 
And we should have hope, we should have gratitude, and we should have confidence and assurance in that. And so here in the beginning of Joshua chapter 24, I think we kind of take for granted every time that a prophet or every time scripture kind of goes back over the history of the nation of Israel. I know for me, I get through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then finally get to Numbers, and that's when my Bible reading kind of just like takes a nosedive, because I get really bored with it. Um, I repent of that. I still like persevere and continue on, but sometimes going back over that history is a challenge for me, but not for this people, because they continuously forget their story and where their identity is, and I know that we struggle with the same thing. And so here in Joshua chapter 24, verses 3 and 5, Joshua reminds the people of how God continued to rescue them, continued to fulfill his promises that he had to his people, even though their lives were really good sometimes and was really poor at others. So Joshua reminds the people, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and to Esau. And I gave to Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt, and I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. God continued on his promises, even though there was a lot of gap, (laughs) there was a lot of things happening in the middle of that, God still fulfilled his promises and what he committed to for his people. He was faithful. And then again, Right as before, or right after they come into the promised land, he reminds them of the, the greatest blessing that he has given to them with this great abundance of land and possession. He says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. All of the blessings that the nation of Israel had now possesses was not on their shoulders. They did nothing to achieve it. God was the one that gave them that blessing. Every time that God renews his covenant, every time that God restores his people, he reminds them of who and whose they are. And so that's why they're telling this story to the nation of Israel. And we see that and we hear about it. We just uh, rejoiced in that and celebrated that with communion, with the stories of Galatians 2 and 2 Corinthians 5 and how Christ has reconciled all of us, not just the Jewish people, to God. God has created a covenant with us. That means he is faithful to us. We're reminded that God is faithful to his covenant, which means that God is faithful to his people. He has made a promise. He has given you and purchased you assuredness to have faith in a God that has a faith in you. This faithfulness, this steadfastness, this graciousness, this mercifulness makes our God, Yahweh, unique. No other God has that. No other God has paid for you to be a prized possession to him. We actually see this again before in Scripture as well, in Exodus 34. After the people of Israel um, disown God and make idols for themselves, Moses breaks some tablets, which I'm like, you spent a lot of work putting those together, or at least God did, and carrying them down the mountain, and now we're going to, to do that all over again. Comes back down with two fresh tablets, and then God says this. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. God reminds himself time and time again that he is faithful to his people. It's really a part of God's identity and character that he has steadfast love, that he is faithful. It's this biblical concept of, (laughs) sorry, 
chesed, it takes a lot of uh, gutterance to get that out. This idea that chesed is faithfulness, that it is steadfastness. Theologians put together a, a list of what this kind of faithfulness looks like. And not only is it shared between God's relationship with us, but obviously with our relationships with others. There are three parts to this. One, it's essential for the survival of the other person in the same way that in the past year we, we've had examples of people serving others for the survival of the other or also for God blessing us to make sure that we have everything that we need. That's part of our service. Second, the person doing the act does so willingly. It's a notion out of free will and service to others. And then finally, it occurs in an ongoing and positive relationship. Hopefully you've realized that God does the same kind of service and has the same kind of faithfulness for you. I want to end on this um, continuation of the idea of faithfulness. A commentator writes it like this, the terms kindness or kindly are feeble attempts to translate the Hebrew word hesed. In the Hebrew, faithfulness has far more theological significance than kindness has in common English usage. Faithfulness is considered an essential part of the nature of God and is frequently used to describe God's act of unmerited grace and mercy. But human beings are also able to do this or to show hesed to one another. To do or to show hesed means to demonstrate loving kindness and loyalty that extends far beyond what the law requires, beyond anything the recipient expects or deserves to receive. This morning, I hope you're encouraged by God who has faith in you a God who loves you, a God that no matter how many covenants or promises you break, he is there to renew and to restore you in relationship with him and the person seated next to you. In your inconsistencies of having highs and lows in the extremities or in the margins of your life, but also just being an inconsistent person, God is consistent in his relationship with you and his relationship with us as a people and as a church. Sean will continue this idea of what we value and how we can be more consistent in this now. Well, let's continue our thoughts by just jumping right away into the passage here. We're in Joshua 24. We're going to start in verse 14 through 21. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord God himself who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. It's interesting. I want you to, to take a moment to think of a time... I'm sorry, I can't get away from the mic here, can I? I apologize. I want you to take a moment to think of a time that you are at a crossroads in your life. That a decision that you made was going to have far-reaching effects. 
that it was going to impact, impact your life for years to come. Maybe it was what you're going to study, what career you're going to choose, who you might marry, whether you're going to have children or not. Things that are uh, very impactful, things that echo through your life and maybe the lives of even generations that come after you. Right now, at this moment in history, the Israelites were at a crossroads. Joshua said, it is time to make a decision. Are you going to continue in this path of chasing after paganism, of, of not being faithful to God? Or are you going to remain faithful and true and follow in the steps of Yahweh that has brought you this far? It's a decision that we all have to have to make at some point. And sadly, we know the kind of long-term trajectory that the Israelites were on, that they did a good job at times, but this is not their last interaction with paganism. We see throughout their history that this was a struggle they had. Because when we talk about faithfulness, we as human beings are really, really bad at it. If we look at the current concept of that, there's a term called moral incongruence. And moral incongruence is this idea that I can sit down with somebody and they can explain their values, what their life is about, the things that are most important to them. And then they end up in a situation where they have to function based on those values, and they often do not follow through. They often make choices that don't line up with that. It can be a real problem for a lot of different reasons. The first of which is it can push us toward, that discrepancy can push us towards things like anxiety and depression. It, it has a psychological impact on us. But maybe even more than that, this damages our influence deeply. If I am somebody that's not living what I say I live, then how can I communicate my values to my coworkers or my neighbors? What do my children see? when I say one thing and live another. And even beyond that, we're told very specifically that God doesn't want us to be lukewarm. We have hot and cold, and he says he wish you were one or the other because right now you're lukewarm, and I want to just spit you out of my mouth. I want to be done with you. We're told very directly that he doesn't want us to live in this state of moral incongruence. So when we have this conflict, conflict between our values and our behavior, then we have another choice. Which one are we going to manipulate? Which one are we going to change? Do we let go of our values? Do we let go of the things that we hold close to? I hope not. I hope not. We're left with the idea of how do we change our behavior. And the first piece of that is focusing on it and giving it attention. And we're going to be able to talk about a few more of those pieces as we go on. The book of Joshua ends with a pretty clear message, a pretty concise message, and it's sim simply this, a call to action to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. This idea comes up 14 different times from verse 14 to the end of this chapter. Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do with your life? The first half of verse 14 reads, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Fear the Lord out of reverence for who God is what he's done in your past, the fact that he's the creator and sustainer of this world, the alpha, the omega, his otherness. In response to that, with reverence and fear, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to serve him with all faithfulness. If you're like me, whenever I think about service to the Lord, a lot of the times I think about almost like service projects. 
What is a service project? It's something that someone else puts together. Uh, I go do it. I have made my contribution to the kingdom, and then I go back to my normal life, and I go back to everything I do separate from that event. Um, service to the Lord is not a activity that we pick up and then set down. Within the context of Joshua, ser- the idea of serving the Lord is a call to wholehearted devotion to God and to God alone. Wholehearted devotion to God and to God alone with your whole life. Not God and fill in the blank. As Kevin mentioned, we can't have multiple allegiances. And Joshua is talking to a group that has multiple allegiances. He's talking to a group that has struggled with chasing after these other little G gods. And, and they really haven't even abandoned God, but they want our God and they want these other things. And Joshua's message is clear. It's, that's not good enough. That's not going to work. Divided allegiance doesn't work in this kingdom. And then he makes it very clear how he is going to vote. When it comes to making a decision, he makes it clear how he is going to live. At the end of verse 15, there's that famous section. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I'm a big fan of trying to view things from a systemic perspective. Uh, We are surrounded by systems. Your family is a system. You have individuals that make up a larger group system. Our church is a system made up of individuals who make up families, who make up groups, who make up the church as a whole, right? Everything happens systemically. And one of the tenets of systems, uh, a systems perspective is when something happens to one part of the system, the whole system feels it. You know this from your experience with your family. If there's a kid that acts out, it's not just that kid that experiences the negative ramifications. The parents, they feel that decision. The other siblings often feel that decision. So when one part of the system hurts, the whole system hurts. Um, The opposite of that is also true. When somebody in a system decides to make a positive decision, it benefits the whole rest of the system, the whole rest of the family. So if a parent decides, I'm going to intentionally be at home more, work less, so that I can spend time with my kids and my wife or my husband, that has a positive impact, not just on that parent, but on the whole family system. That feels like a tangent, but this is where, I, this is where I'm going with this. What, what does this have to do with Joshua? Joshua is essentially saying, Israel, I cannot control you. I can't tell you what to do. I cannot tell you to deny these other gods. I cannot tell you to follow our God, but I can control myself. I can control my own actions, and let me tell you what I decide. As a participant in my own family system and in this bigger system. I am choosing to serve the Lord. And Joshua's decision has a positive impact on his family, but then also on Israel as a whole. As Sean read, they had two opportunities where they say, we are going to choose to serve the Lord. We agree with you. What you say is right. We believe we're going to follow you and your example. I think there's an important lesson to be learned here. And it's simply this. If you want your family to serve the Lord, start with yourself. This should be intuitive, and we know this, but it's a good reminder. If you want your family to serve the Lord, start with yourself. Family looks very different around this auditorium. For some, it's a family of three or four. For some of you, it's a family of eight. For some of you, it's a family of one, um, and you have your family of origin, or you have your church family. But whatever your sphere of influence is, if you want others within your sphere of influence 
to serve the Lord, it starts with yourself. It starts with committing yourself to service to the Lord and allowing them to follow because they see that it's important, because they see that it matters to you. We could go on and on about uh, Joshua 24. It's a powerful chapter, but we wanted to end by being fiercely practical. A sentiment that we hear often is, I want to be a spiritual leader in my home, but I I don't really know what that looks like. And so we're going to conclude by each of us coming back up here to share one example of what it looks like within our homes. And we don't do this to put ourselves on a pedestal. We are just as broken and flawed as any and everyone else in this room. Uh, We certainly don't do this to put our families on a pedestal, but the goal of this is just to to speak plainly. Here are some things that have worked for our families and may it be an encouragement to you as you think about how best to influence your families towards service to the Lord. For the Robertson family, there are a few times in our house that I would characterize as sacred, um, some more important than others. Uh, One sacred time in our house is OU football games. Those are to be protected. Um, The uh, Masters golf tournament is very special to me and not really the rest of my family. But... um, The time that I would call the most sacred for our family is bedtime. That is an opportunity where Ashley and I have tried to intentionally set aside opportunities to have spiritual conversations. We read the Bible together with our boys from our children's Bible. And Judah, our four-year-old, he's at an age where anything that has a miracle or a display of power, he's all in on that. And he wants to talk about how did that happen and let's do that again. And (laughs) that's going to be a challenge. Um, Ryder, our two-year-old, he's, he's more intent on making sure he's the one that gets to take the bookmark out and gets to set it back in, but we hope some of that is sinking in for Ryder. Um, those conversations are super valuable to me, and I hope that they're a blessing to our boys. And then the thing we end with is, is the thing I love the most, is we pray together. And I believe whenever you hear other people pray, you hear what they care about, what they love, what they're passionate about. Uh, Ryder, uh, often thanks God for whatever construction equipment we saw that day. Um, and if you know Ryder, that is, that is perfect. Judah, he has been thanking God for his friends and his family. Uh, lately, he's been ending his prayers in a way that makes me very happy. He keeps saying, and God, I love you the most, which as a dad, I'm like, yes, <laughs> which let's be honest, all credit goes to Ashley. She's doing great work. <laughs> um, but then we conclude with us praying over our boys. It is, I think it is so important for our boys to hear us pray prayers of blessing over them. I want them to hear us go into the throne, into the throne room before God and ask blessings over them to say, God, help, help Judah, help Ryder grow to love you, to serve others, to prioritize your kingdom, to serve you with everything that they have. I want them to hear us pray those blessings over them. I hope that it's been a blessing to them. Uh, I know it's been a blessing to me, but that's one thing that our family does in an effort to help our family serve the Lord. So I talked about moral incongruence a few minutes ago. In that dynamic, there's one thing that really changes it. If you sit down with somebody and you remind them what their values are right before they're put in a difficult situation, they're far, far better at following through. So that's the practical thing that I want to bring to you guys today. Put reminders in your world. 
Maybe this is something that's as, as simple as scripture that is placed around your home. Maybe it's more abstract than that and is, is just the way you spend your time that I'm going to communicate with a Christian friend throughout the day. Uh, maybe it's I'm going to start my day by, by scripture. There's a lot of different things that we can see in this. And, and when we look at God walking with humanity, we see that he puts these things in place. He puts reminders in our world, whether it's things like communion all the way through uh, some of the Levitical law. That if we can find times to be reminded of who we are, then we can step into our role as a new creation and we can really be that thing. I've learned that when you marry someone, you marry into the family. And mostly that's a blessing. I won't talk about any of the curses from behind the pulpit. Uh, That's to remain faithful to Marcy. But something that Marcy and now my siblings, Ethan and Tori, are just awesome at is showing gratitude. And I believe that expressing gratitude is a spiritual discipline and a way that we can remind ourselves of being faithful, or that God is faithful to us, and then being faithful to other people with God's love is by remembering gratitude of everything that God's done for us and then the way that we show gratitude towards others in our lives. Uh, Marcy has been doing great work at the Children's Hospital, and obviously you can think of ways that that can be draining and really uh, be full of, like, shadow-filled moments, but she always expresses gratitude of the way that God's worked through other nurses and hospital staff and the way that God's worked in hospital rooms uh, by taking care of the kids there. Ethan is awesome at showing affection and reminding uh, everyone in his life how they are loved uh, by giving them huge hugs and just being a goofball in all the best ways. And then Tori uh, always writes encouragement notes, even to me, which is saying a lot. And she always takes uh, some of our girl students from high school out to lunch and things like that. And I know that's a shotgun approach, but that's what it looks like to show gratitude. And the more that we show gratitude, the more we show our hearts of being committed to God and the heart of Christ himself. Well, as John talked about, showing and demonstrating, I think, is an important part. And uh, since I get to primarily work with seniors, I think it's important to emphasize to you as grandparents your role of modeling that. Paul, writing to Timothy, talked about his faith that first was in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother Eunice. And Paul was praying that he said, I am persuaded now lives in you also. A faith that's worth uh, having is worth modeling and following. I think that's the reason why shepherds are called to have their, their families being faithful. It's a reproductive kind of faith, a faith that you want to have yourself. And I'm reminded in, uh, for myself, I'm a first-generation Christian, but I was converted into a family who was very religious, and they loved to have fun. My father-in-law, in order to evangelize, he took part of his farm and turned it into a nine-hole golf course so he could take people there and play free. They had a swimming pool, a huge pond for fishing, go-karts, ATVs. My kids loved going there. But they were very intentional about sharing their faith, modeling their faith. And my kids picked that up. I picked that up from them. Uh, From that family, all three girls married. And they were all ministers at one time. And two of them are shepherds now. So it is worth modeling. Don't give up. Be strong and courageous. Choose yourself 
to follow him. We want to offer that invitation to you. We want to encourage you. We're going to sing a song about resolved. If you are already a Christian, we want you to resolve this day who, who, who you're going to serve. If you've not chosen, you're trying to serve too many, then we want to challenge you to serve the one and only. Let's stand and sing.